kill than love. When you have known that, you will have known ecstasy. <laughs> Welcome to episode 112 of Ribbon of Memes, a film where we hunt down films previously described as masterpieces and mercilessly take them as our trophies. I am Nick, the uh, comedy alcoholic buffoon of the podcast, and I am joined as ever by sinister Cossack Roger. Well, it's either that or be Faye Ray. Um, I mean, not that I object <laughs> particularly, but... I mean, you could be the uh, the hero, but um, we will come on to why um, why we would pick the other characters. We are discussing another pre-code film, pre-pro-pre-pre-pre-pre-code film. It is the most dangerous game. So I think we've said before that one of our criteria for masterpieces is how much something has been influential, and oh boy, this has been influential. There have been a lot of remakes of this film, one way or another, in TV shows. Um, you know, a lot of the Battle Royale things, I think you could argue, were uh, could be remakes of that. Well, I, I've got some things to say about that, but uh, let, let's okay. talk about the film first. Okay. So this is um, uh, based on a, a short story by... Uh, which I haven't read. I think oh, you right. have read, haven't you, Roger? I have, yeah. Uh, Richard Connell. I should... I should read it, uh, but this is... And it was published in 1924 originally, so that, so we're eight years later when the film, film version comes out. And we're in the film, we're sort of well established in the talkies um, with these films. I think we're sort of mid-twenties when the talkies were really mm. um, uh, coming online. And now this, interestingly, so this film was uh, made on the same sets and soundstage as King Kong. Um, they just did it in the night while they made King Kong in the day, which is why Faye Ray is in both of them. Yeah, there was also a slight filming delay. Um, the, the sets had been built ready for King Kong, uh, but the production wasn't quite ready to move on to them. Okay, so it did slightly slow down King Kong. Uh, but... No, no, it didn't. King Kong was already running late, but the sets okay. were ready on time. So they, so, so they could say, okay, you know, you, you've got half a day on this set. Oh, I see. So that's how they squeezed out the most dangerous game. Which um, this is a very short film. It's just just over an hour. It may be one of our shortest films. Primer, maybe was mm. another very short one. Um, so it, it, I... its budget went on on the other scenes, the castle and the shipwreck. Um. <laughs> the weird cat. So we have we have Robert uh, Bob Rainsford, a famous American hunter. Um, with a so it starts with a, a nice scene of the the kind of the typical. Um, uh, men in a smoking room all discussing their latest, uh, uh, trophies and hunts with the worried captain explaining that the, the waters around here are a bit dangerous. Um, and we have a very sort of on the nose discussion about, um, how would you feel if you were the prey, um, and not, <laughs> uh, instead of the tiger? Would you swap places with the tiger with the, the quite nice response? Well, no, I wouldn't now, um, now that the tiger's been shot and mounted. Um, yeah, and, and the usual, oh well, the animals enjoy being hunted, really. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> well, it's a, we have a nice little juxtaposition <laughs> of that. Um, the ship very quickly uh, sinks, hits some rocks, rolls over, water gets into the boilers, the boilers explode. Everybody dies. There's sharks in the water. We had... This is a slightly weird mix for me, this film, because some of it I like... I think you pointed it out correctly off her. Some of it I like ironically because it's a bit silly. And some of it I genuinely think is really flipping good. Um, mm. But I like all of it anyway, including the... We have the... I think he's a, the doctor or the priest. I can't remember, but he's hanging on to a large bit of door a la um, Titanic. But the shark gets him to... It's a very disinterested cry of, oh, he's got me. Uh, as he gets pulled under the water <laughs> by the shark, I'm perhaps overstating it, but I, I was a bit, um, I, I was a bit underwhelmed by his uh, his death scene. Mm. The summary of which is that poor old Robert Rainsford is the only survivor of the shipwreck, and he swims to shore on this South American Pacific island somewhere. It's got to be coastal because, like, because the captain isn't surprised that these are treacherous waters in the first place. Yeah, yeah, but it is definitely an isolated island. It feels like a kind of um, Jurassic Park style um, Isla Nubar uh, island, but it has slightly incongruously a Gothic castle built on it. Um, now they do explain that in the plot, in that it was a Portuguese fortress, um, so I guess it is South America. But it it doesn't look like a Portuguese; it looks like a Gothic castle to me. Mm. Uh, so I, I kind of laughed out loud when he's sort of stumbling through the jungle and looks up and there's basically Dracula's castle on a hill. It was it was a nice moment. I I was well, don't get me wrong, I was all for it. I loved it, um, but it, <laughs> it just seemed a bit ridiculous. It has the greatest door knocker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That door knocker is I, I want one of those for my, for my front I door. Just... It would be completely out of place, but for the one person in 10,000 who would recognise it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm... Very tip. So this, this incredible door knocker is this kind of, uh, is he a centaur? Is he a huntsman? But he's holding, um, this, uh, downed woman in his arms that he has presumably taken, uh, captive. And she's the, she's the knocker. And he's got an arrow sticking out of his chest. Just incredible. Um, I loved it. So that 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 that's mildly sinister, and we've we've got one or two of the classic sinister, spooky house tropes. You know, the the door seems to be closing itself, and so on. Yes, but basically, there is nothing supernatural going on here. This is the home of Count Zaroff. Oh, lovely Count Zaroff. Now, this <laughs> is um, the uh, incredible actor, um, or I found him absolutely magnificent. I don't remember seeing him in a. Much else, though I probably should have done because he's been in uh, tons of other things. But this is Leslie Banks. Yeah, he he um, had quite a long career. He did. Yeah, he was in loads of things. I think. Um, I I may have seen him in something like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, possibly. Um, the, this, they, this was actually his second film role. Really? Yeah, he's bloody good as a sinister. So they're Cossacks. So we meet Ivan. Is it Ivan? I think it probably is Ivan or Ivor. Um, the, the the kind of mute Cossack. His um, characterization is big guy. Big guy, But he's yes. played by Noble Johnson, so, you know, you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> no, and there is... There's a nice comedy moment where he's forced to smile and he does it in the most <laughs> sinister possible way. Um, but Zaroff is this... It, I, you don't, they don't make baddies like this anymore. This Alan Rickman level of, um, 
just absolute, um, perfectly mannered, utter shitbag. <laughs> He's mm. quite happy in his own skin, just enjoys being an evil bastard to the point where, you know, he often sits and strokes the scar on his head. I didn't realise, um, but that is not makeup. Leslie Banks was very badly injured in the war. Um, and that scar, uh, and his face partially paralysed, so they sort of wrote it in. <laughs> they may have played it up a bit, um, and, but just uh, whenever he's thinking about uh, the evil things he's going to do, he kind of strokes his scar. That was given to him by leopards in Malaysia, I think. But it turns out he uh, he is a huge fan of hunting, and so he's a very big fan of Robert Rainsford. Um, and he's read all his books. I watch your channel and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your number one fan. Um, yeah, there, and, there, so, and there's a certain amount of, you know, we, 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 we the hunters are, are, are the true men and all the rest of it. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of uh, manly hunting talk uh, goes on. Turns out there's a lot of shipwrecks around here. Um, not sure why. Well, we are sure why, because he, um, uh, fiddles the, uh, the, the, um, the safe passage lights so that it's definitely not safe passage and they'll all sink. Um, and in fact, there are survivors of the previous shipwreck in the house. And that would be, uh, the Trowbridge, um, uh, brother and sister, Fay yeah. Ray. Let me just get who... my soft focus filter ready. <laughs> Fay Ray, the lovely Fay Ray, who most people would know from King Kong. Well, they wouldn't at this point. Well, no, most people uh, nowadays, if if they know Faye Ray at all, yeah. but they probably know her more from uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show because she gets a name check in the science fiction song at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and Robert Armstrong, her drunk brother, who does some phenomenally bad drunk acting. Characterisation, uh, drunk. <laughs> that's right, he is drunk. He's sort of the comedy character. He's the one who isn't getting the... Not so subtle evil vibes that, um, <laughs> that the, uh, the, uh, is he counter a baron? I've forgotten. Zaroff is, um, giving oh, ca- Count is definitely the most evil noble title. Oh, yeah, okay. He's getting Because Zaroff. it doesn't happen in English nobility, I suspect. <laughs> you think so. Um, he, he's giving off very evil vibes, uh, uh, dis- despite, um, Robert Armstrong not noticing and, uh, pushing it, uh, to the point of, um, uh, great annoyance of the Count, um, but who then surprisingly offers to take him into his trophy room, um, which the other two sailors who uh, were shipwrecked with them also went into the trophy room and um, never came out, but it doesn't seem to worry too many people. Faye Ray's a bit nervous about it, but... but yeah, our, she, she's our... the only one who, who both has knowledge of the situation and a little bit of intelligence. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Martin uh, Trowbridge, uh, the drunk, uh, you could not, you could not accuse him of that. Um, uh, uh, he's so, actually quite an early odious comic relief. He's still in it. He is extremely he, he very odious. much fits the stereotype, but he uh, does. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, unlike a lot of comic reliefs, he is almost immediately murdered <laughs> in the mm. next scene, which is very nice because it turns out that the Baron, the Count, not the Baron, don't know who the Baron is, the Count is not just into hunting animals. On this island, he's hunting the most dangerous game of all. Himself. And he, <laughs> um, I, 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 
so the idea is that he has got bored with the hunties. He's a bit depressed. Um, and then he, he realizes, he's killed every, every sort of animal that you're allowed to kill and many that you aren't. Yes. So then he decides to up his game, so to speak, and kill the most dangerous game of all, which would be man. Now, how that translates to kind of a city slicker drunk <laughs> who, um, is going to clearly be much less sport than a leopard, for instance. But it, it turns out, he, he, he did, he does say, there's a nice line where he says, oh, don't worry, I sobered him up. He was in perfect state before I sent him out. I mean, I don't think sober or not, um, the drunk company sidekick is going to be, uh, much sport for someone like Baron Zaroff. And it's worth noting that he, he does propose to Rainsford that they share the hunt. Yes, his assumption is that uh, that Rainsford will be all up for this uh, human hunting. It's um, faintly worrying that he offers us when the next planned hunt is clearly going to be Eve. But Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know, he has some worrying ideas about... Um, you, you've got to get... Uh, there's some... It's I a pre-code film, so she can be explicitly threatened with rape, and she is. She is, uh, yeah, basically he's like, um, I'll tell you what's better than making love to a lady, making love to a lady after you've just killed someone, and that's kind of his whole shtick, really. Um, so he's, basically, he said, you wait here, I'm gonna go and kill him, and then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna have you. Um, mm. which is and, and disturbing then she and going with him. Uh, yeah, Robert's not having much of this. We haven't said much about Robert's character at this point, because, it's it's pretty much I'm a hunter. I'm a hunter. I'm the hero. I'm the American guy in mm. this film, and so he doesn't. He's he's the square jawed hero that doesn't have much to say or do. But it transpires they are next on the hunt. Robert refuses. They they have got until is it the next morning? Uh, they let out at night, and if they survive until the sun rises. Yeah, in in the uh, three day in the in the story, it's a three day hunt with pauses for rest and first aid and stuff. But here it's just a few hours, mm. really. And then, so that's basically the first half of the film, and then the second half of the film is the hunt, and that's it's not very long. It's only an hour long film, so uh, we're into the hunt fairly quickly. Um, it does bowl so, along, and I think this is not a bad thing. I'm not complaining. I, I was, uh, I was well up for this, this whole thing really. There's some, I, again, you can tell it's a pre-code film because the, the trophy room is, um, I wouldn't say surprisingly gory, but suitably gory. There are genuinely, uh, unpleasant looking decapitated mounted heads in there. Mm. Um, when it is revealed what the most dangerous game is. Um, I, there was a, it does slightly, I have to say, Zeroff sort of stroking his scar slightly reminded me of Dr. Evil doing his, um, <laughs> his thing. But, well, uh, maybe, I guess. Where will be one of the things that comes from? I mean, he, I he, he has the lean and menacing villain down pat, so. He does. He's incredible. I, I loved it. Um, I'd say Robert Rainsford being the experienced hunter knows a few tricks up his sleeve. He sets up a trap, um, What's it called? A Malaysian, um. Well, he calls it a Malay death pole. Yeah. But I think we can say probably intended to be Malay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um. Uh, it, it's basically a, a larger than usual deadfall. Yeah. yeah, with a tripwire, which is immediately, uh, seen off by Baron Zaroff, who, who sees it, um, 
Again, in the, in the story, um, he gets out of it just in time, but he's still slightly wounded, so it actually has some effect. It's not just a delay. Okay. But, but he, I think uh, bec- because the action is so much more compressed here, it's all in the one night. I think you're going to have to. But he off to get his, uh, his hyper rifle instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of his bow and arrow. He decides, um, this game's slightly tougher than he likes. Then, Robert sets up the worst trap I've ever seen, which is there's a huge crevasse. It's clearly a crevasse. And then he just like puts some leaves and sticks on it as if he's going to walk on top of this. Oh, look, someone's made a bridge here out of sticks. I think I'll go across that. And he seems very happy that this will absolutely fool Zaroff. The thing that struck me this time round was um, it's Zaroff's island and they make a point of saying how small it is. One feels he would probably know at least the major paths, and there's no reason to assume this is not a major path. Yes, exactly. Ooh, ooh, yesterday there was a crevasse I had to leap, and now there isn't. That's nice. Yes, oh, lucky me. Someone's gone and made a brick. Uh, suffice to say, he isn't entirely fooled by it. I think he nearly is fooled by it. I can't remember quite how it collapses, but... Um, it, it's delay again. It's delay again. Uh, he sets up a nice spear trap, which sees off um, poor old Ivan. Oh, dear. And no one gives a shit about him. They're all, <laughs> they all run past with their hunting dog. They don't even notice he's been killed. But there we go. And uh, then we, we have end up at a waterfall. Uh, the uh, Rickenbacker Falls sequence. Um, Reichenbacker. Um, uh, yes, uh, he's set upon by a dog. He beats up the dog and throws it off the cliff. So, for some reason, they're setting the dogs at him one at a time, so they send another one after him. Um, uh, and then they shoot him at close range with a high-powered rifle. By they, I mean Zeroff. Um, and he falls off, and that's the end of the hunt. And so uh, Eve shows about as much initiative as a female character is allowed to show at this era and stands there until the servants retrieve her. I think she might even faint uh, at some point. Yeah. Um, but then Zeroff, despite being all, all going on about his blood being up and how he's going to enjoy it, he then sits and plays the piano for a bit while he lets her go upstairs. Um, and I, I don't know, presumably. Bathe her and bring her to me. <laughs> but Rainsford is not dead. The door opens and then we have, uh, a climactic battle sequence. Um, I really like this fight, I have to say, because it just looked... It didn't look like people doing choreographed punch swap. It looked like people desperately struggling to hit each other mm. um, and roll about on the floor and grab a bit that they could and hit that and pull that and punch that. I thought it was a nice fight sequence. And it has the thing that I always like of they're actually using the stuff that's around them rather than just... You know, here, here is the map painted scenery and you just stand in the middle of the floor and have a go at each other. Yeah, they were rolling about on the floor. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the Matrix and all this malarkey with the height. It was just, they just two people that really, really wanted to beat the other person because otherwise they would die. And hmm. I, I liked it. It was, I don't know if that, I wouldn't wonder if that would have survived the code. I don't know. It, it was quite, Brutal and gritty, uh, not gory of it. Just, it just looked desperate. Um, and I liked it. Uh, for the, for the kind of realistic nature of it. But then he, uh, Zaroff tries to, um, uh, 
tries to draw his bow, which seems like a bad idea in close combat. Well, he does. He does a fake surrender. Yeah, just yeah. just to oh. prove how villainous he is. You have beaten me. Not yet. Um, but he gets uh, stabbed by an arrow. They don't stay to finish him off. Um, they escape out the door, and Zaroff tries to finish them off himself with a bow uh, to the boat, um, but falls down to be the prey himself, finally, to his own hunting dogs. What I don't understand is why wasn't the castle on fire at this point? <laughs> Surely the castle should have been on fire. At the very least, struck by lightning. Or something like that, or exploding or something. Bits of it splashing into the, the sea while they were paddling away on the boat. So well, ju- I'll just mention in passing uh, some differences from the story. For, for a start, there is no Martin or Eve. Okay, and so, and so there is no there's no offer of the joint hunt either. It basically says, um, right, well you're you're here, you're the next prey. Congratulations. All right, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff on the hunt works similarly, um, but then yeah, Rensford turns up again, and, and the actual final fight is just elided, and it just says um, you know they they they're facing up to each other, and Zaroff says, oh, the loser will be fed to the dogs, the winner will sleep in this bed. And then later that night, Rinsford said, I enjoyed that bed. (laughs) Right, okay, yeah. (laughs) Well, that probably works better than a a description of the fight that you know he's going to win. That's uh, that's a nice way of doing it. But it's interesting, um, in in that original, E.C. is very much hunter versus hunter. Yes. And and, and Zaroff is very happy that he's got this guy to be his prey because he will be the challenging prey. Yes. I uh, hear that's less so. I mean, he's, he's inviting him to join him because, you know, you're, you're a hunter, you'll understand. You, you know what, you, you want to feel the thrill as a hunt as well, yeah. I think that works quite well. But they both work well. I, I think that the shift here is from, you know, the story is essentially I'm a better hunter than you. Yes. Whereas okay. this, to some extent, and even more in later adaptations, is basically I'm a better person than you, and I win by being a better person than you, rather yeah. than by out hunting you. Also, you know, being a hunter stops being a thing that people actually are. <laughs> yes, it's hard to be the heroic character who hunts innocent animals in later films. That's... And there were a lot of later films. Mm. I mean, this is. Were there more adapt? I think there was at least one more direct adaptation of the short story, if nothing else. Um, well, let's see. Uh, there, 1945, uh, there is A Game of Death, which is reasonably well known. Um, mm-hmm. that, that is a direct adaptation of the story, though, uh, Zaroff is now, uh, Krieger, a, a Nazi, because, yeah, it's 1945. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There, there are quite a lot of loosely inspired ones. Um, I mean, we, we have talked on this very podcast about uh, Predator and the Running Man. Yes, both of which owe uh, a fair bit to this. Uh, I, I, I tend to feel that this, this isn't just death games. I mean, there are there are stories in which you know, everybody is thrown into an arena and the last survivor gets the prize. You know, the Hunger Games, yes. Battle Royale, that kind of thing. Yes. And there, there are sports where, you know, you don't have to kill your opponent, but it just helps you win the game, like rollerball. But, yes. but what, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying imitates is I, I essentially I'm saying that it's explicitly about I have got bored with hunting animals and I want to hunt people now. 
Right, and yeah, that, okay. that alone has been quite widely imitated. Yes, that, and that's quite. But yeah, as you say, all the ones, a lot of the ones you mentioned there are just more. Um, uh, they're not hunters; they're just thrown together. But the, the, yeah, they have. I mean, I've certainly seen a few TV episodes. I think The Simpsons did a parody of uh, The Simpsons. Yeah, well, it, it's one, one of my things. I always say that every procedural TV series will eventually rip off the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's about season three or four when they've run out of their original slate of ideas. In Dollhouse, they did it in episode two, but you know. <laughs> that was a peculiar show, Dollhouse, wasn't it? Um, a cu- hmm. couple that occurred to me, um, Hard Target, which I think was the first iteration of the story oh, yeah. I personally saw. That was uh, John Woo's first American film. Yes. Uh, with Jean Claude Van Damme. That's with uh, Vietnam vets and things, isn't it? Yeah. Though also with Yancey Butler, who would later go on to star in Witchblade until Probably her drinking caused them to cancel the, the probably the highest rated show cancellation ever. Oh dear. Um, okay. But she's pretty good. Lance Henriksen's in it. Arnold Vosloo's in it. Our old Blimey. friend Sven Old Thorson is in it. I need to watch this again. I vaguely remember seeing it a long time ago. It, it is a very, it, I mean, it gets Van Damme over everything. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, Mm. And, and, and you know, he, his name is Boudreau and, he, and he's in New Orleans, which explains his accent, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's good fun. And there's uh, Surviving the Game, Rutger Hauer, uh, is a homeless man who is hired as a guide for a group of wealthy businessmen on a hunting trip in the mountains. All oh, right, that sounds like an 80s film. Is that an 80s film? <laughs> 94. Oh, blimey. <laughs> um and and here's the one I just recently found out about. I haven't haven't watched this. Last year, there was a a, a remake of this very film called The Most Dangerous Game. I think I was it Canadian or something. Uh, no, American. Okay. And uh, so, who do you think is playing Baron von Wolf? Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's an actor we've had on Ribbon of Memes before. Oh, really? It should be Tim Curry, but I suppose no. he's a bit long in the tooth for that by now. It's Casper Van Dien. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I mean, no, but yes. I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't... Oh, I don't know. I'd have to watch that. Maybe you could do it. Goodness me. I like the Zeroth here so much. Um Ooh, I don't. Yeah, he can. He can play that. I'm an absolute shit, and I don't care uh, pretty well. Mm. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, going going back to this one for a moment, I a thing that did strike me was a couple of technical points because yeah, the, it is 1932, and basically mm. what you have for camera work for the most part is a fixed camera, or if you're being advanced, you can turn it in place. Uh, but there are a couple of shots here where. Um, we're going, actually, the camera is clearly progressing through the foliage, which it is pushing down as it moves through it. Yes, and we see sort of the protagonist's faces, and then we're seeing it push through. And they did, this was before they had, like, um, dolly shots and things particularly. And they it's, never... it's the earliest dolly shot I've seen. I'm, I'm sure it's not yeah. the very first one, but it, it's really quite remarkable. And, and the, the way the film frames it, it, it's clear that you're supposed to be impressed by this as well. Well, I, I, I found I was, frankly. It works as a, um, sort of feeling claustrophobic and hunted. I think it did work to up the tension because this is towards the end of the hunt and you're, you're seeing how close they are to each other. Mm. I, I thought it did work quite well. Yes. And I mean, yes, this is certainly not, not a, um, 
it, it's got Martin in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But apart from that, I, I really very much enjoyed it. I, I have seen I, this one before. I don't even begrudge Martin in it because he ends up um, dead <laughs> in the very next scene. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so I don't mind that particularly. I I don't know, as I've said, I don't know how much I enjoyed, ironically, how much I'm seeing... Because, as you say, this is an oft-imitated film. And, yes, imitated to the point uh, where the direct plot has been imitated... But also themes of the plot have been imitated and the kinds of, I don't know if he, uh, you know, I don't suppose there are was the original, um, scene, scene chewing villain. Um, it certainly wasn't the first, but a very, very good example of the form. Um, mm. and I, I loved. I don't know. There's just a joy. Well, you, you've to got it. those Victorian melodramatic stage roles, you know, the villain in the top hat, who who yes. will go on to you know tie young women to railway tracks and things of that sort. He, he and he's, I, he's certainly in that general basket. Yeah, they don't have to sort of. Uh, there's something refreshing about him not having to uh, have particularly a, a, a deep backstory or be leavened by humanity. Or he's just an absolute bastard, and he doesn't care, and he enjoys it. <laughs> he's very happy in his own skin. Or presumably in someone else's <laughs> skin as well. Um, I, I don't know how much I enjoyed ironically, uh, how I just got an affection for older films, honestly. Um, mm. but it, I also genuinely think it works as a gripping narrative. Uh, yeah, I, I always try to put myself into something of a mindset of the time simply because, you know, if I'm reading a, I don't know, 1920s thriller, where, yes. where they're all gung ho about uh, what the, what these kids today need is a bit of order and not not to not to join those horrible communists. You know, <laughs> put put the kids in uniform. That, that's that's what we'll sort about. Um, I, I couldn't enjoy it at all if I didn't try to get myself slightly in that mindset while I was reading it. Uh, yes, so, fair enough. Yes, yeah. Well, but but I think it. I think yeah. It, it's not exactly in the modern style, but I think it it, it does not need a lot of adjustment to enjoy. I think what I'm learning in Ribbon of Me is I, I started this, I suppose, because I wanted to see what films could do, um, or I started my own watch before we started the podcast. I wanted to see what films could do and how they could illuminate the human condition and what they can tell it. And they, they can do all of that to variable degrees, but often the films we tried to watch, either we sort of already felt we'd had the epiphany they were trying to spring upon us, which for some reason we find irritating. I don't know why, but we both <laughs> found it. If you're telling me something I already know, that's for some reason irritates me, even though we, even though we agree <laughs> with you. Um, well, that, that sometimes irritates more because, well, yeah, I get that. Can we get on with the story now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If this is going to be the big revelation, uh, oh, oh, the war on drugs isn't good. Well, I sort of came to that conclusion myself. Hmm. Um, or uh it shows you something about human nature that you don't necessarily agree with. So it doesn't always work. Now, when it does, that's magical. But I think I've started to realise what I really, what I really fundamentally want is just a really good story. Um, <laughs> and I, maybe, that, I don't know if that's disappointing to realise after all these films, but I think... If you haven't got that, I'm not really on board otherwise. Um, I, I like documentaries. I, I, to my shame a bit, I rarely read fiction nowadays because I find more interesting 
uh, real life stories. But I don't know why that hasn't happened with films um, for me or TV shows, which doesn't feel like a such a frivolous waste of time to me in a way that fiction does. I'm wrong. There's nothing wrong with fiction, but I, <laughs> it's it's my own problem. But with films, I think ultimately, I, th- I think you've said it before as well. Sometimes if I want sort of deep insights on the human condition, um, you probably go elsewhere than films. I'm not going to start by thinking I will watch a film about this. Yeah. And I, I think I'm very gradually over all these films coming to agree with you that um, if I get some insight into that, that's lovely. But I, I fundamentally, I just want to enjoy a really good story well told and well i mean i think film does have its own narrative conventions and it's better to you'll get a better film if you work with those rather than you know directly transplanting a short story or whatever yes um yes. but that said i think i'm looking for many of the same things in that you know i, I want some idea of who these people are and what they want and therefore what they do and that then when we get to the action and, and i'm certainly still in favor of the action it yes. were it's not just a special effects reel or or a um martial arts reel it's i care about this fight because i know who these people are and i know yes. why they want to win yeah and i'm interested in that i have a personal stake in to which way this fight goes which is why i find it thrilling as opposed to, oh, Tom Cruise is going to win this one again. And, um, hmm. and there are ways that films can do that. Even, you know, even in James Bond's films, um, James Bond films, they can surprise you and make you interested. So I, th- I think the tension there is, the 1980s. yeah, not, not so much is James Bond going to win because you know he is, but who else is going to get hurt along the way? Yeah. Yeah. But here, I, well, again, I don't think we're ever really in. I don't think we thought the film would end with a closing shot of his head on the <laughs> on the wall. That would have been a cool closing shot, though. But you do <laughs> you do care about it because Zeroff is such a baddie, um, and he really shouldn't win. Um, even though uh, 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 Rich, I've forgotten his name now, Bob uh, Robert, no, uh, uh, the, the, the the hero guy, Bob um, Robert Bob Rainsford. <laughs> that's right. Well, even his nickname's a bit dull. It doesn't, he sang a Rainsford in the short story. Uh, that, well, that's more interesting. Uh, probably to, I don't know, maybe that's too camp like Bruce Banner was. So they had to, to, to make it David Banner. Um, I, I don't know. Actually, it's interesting that I didn't care that much about Bob. Um, I, I suppose you do quite like uh, Eve in it, but once she's out on the hunt, she's not. She devolves to uh, Scream Queen. I think uh, it's interesting that in a lot of stories, whether the, whether they're copying this one or not, the woman's job is to be the prize. Here it is not only explicit that she is the prize, but it is the villain who is setting her up to be the prize, and that is part of his villainy. Yes, yeah, I suppose that, yeah, that's a refreshing take, that it's not like everyone will win this. Uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, and yeah. That's true. That's a nicely done thing. I mean, it, it's, I, it's suggesting that they at least look positively on each other, but uh, they're, they're not going to say, oh, we will stay together forever after this, uh, you know, very stressful 12 hours we've just had. No, they understandably bonded a bit because they're being hunted by a, a, a lunatic. And she looks like uh, Fay Ray, which, you know. And she looks like Fay Ray, which helps quite a lot. I, I personally prefer this to King Kong. I like King Kong, but I don't absolutely adore it. Um, yeah, I would point out uh, Robert Armstrong and Noble Johnson are also in King Kong. 
Oh yeah, Robert Armstrong, I think, is the one who gets the Twas Beauty killed the beast uh, mm. in the uh, in the King Kong film. Uh, maybe we should give that a try at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this film. For me, it's a masterpiece. I mean, by by many measures. One is that I really flipping enjoyed it, and I genuinely mm. tench ten, tench. That's a word. Um, it's a sort of fish, isn't been, it? Uh, well, yeah. I, I was genuinely fishy uh, during this film, and. It uh, was, as we've discussed, if if being imitated is one of your things, many of these th- films' tropes were imitated, um, not least the story. I suppose in some ways you can't say the story was original to the film because it wasn't. It was a short story. But I think it was the film that popularised it hmm. um, and made it uh, copyable. I, for me, a masterpiece. I, I mean, I'm already predisposed to thinking anything in black and white is a masterpiece. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. As we've just been saying, it doesn't get everything right, but it does get an awful lot right. Mm-hmm. And when it gets it wrong, you can still enjoy it because it's so camp and silly. Mm. I still enjoy that this Gothic castle on this ancient, on this uh, Pacific, wherever it is, South South American island. Um, I just. I don't think the Portuguese built forts like that. I've just been to Portugal. It didn't look like that. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but there we are. Um, maybe when they were in South America, they did it differently. Lovely stuff. Thank you. And uh, thank you uh, especially for Leslie Banks, who's made my week better this week. Yeah. He had a long career. Not not, not one of the hugely uh, prolific actors, but... Uh... I, I think he, he got to pick and choose a certain amount and he cer- certainly uh, had some very solid roles. Quite right to you. I, I, I'm not going to read about him particularly, but I'm going to assume he was, like most of the people who played villains, a genuinely lovely person. And I'm going to um, uh, sit with that and hope that it's true and not look into it. <laughs> so I'm just looking for a closing quote. Well, it only remains for us to release the uh, the lucky winner of the podcast lottery, um, and I'll I'll go and get my rifle. Mm-hmm.